Welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. This is episode 993, my interview with Lydie Klotz, and we're discussing his book, Subtract. Please enjoy. Hey, Lydie, welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. Great to have you here today. Thanks, Lee. It's great to be here. Whereabouts are you located? Uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, so uh, about two hours south of Washington, D.C. Okay, right. And how's the weather there at the moment? Going well? It's like swimming outside. It's not raining, but it's just so ridiculously humid really? and and hot. Yeah, it gets. I mean, it's a nice nice climate here in that we don't ha- we have pretty mild winters, but there's mm-hmm. a there's always a few weeks, if not a month or two, in the summer where it's pretty pretty uncomfortable. But I don't want to complain. I mean, it's it's better than snow, and I, I got outside and got better to run outside snow? today. You yeah. get snow too. We get snow, but I grew up in upstate New York where there was tons of snow, and um, that was way worse than being a little too hot for a few months in the summer. So right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> As an Aussie without much snow here, um, I grew up in a, in a humid tropical climate, and uh, certainly I love the idea of snowing. <laughs> you know, snowing around the house. <laughs> it's a nice, uh, it's a nice novelty. Um, like the Probably. first time it snows every year and you get to go play outside and it's fun for the kids and all that. But then, you know, when you, the third month of it, it's just, uh, grueling. Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, and what do you do with yourself in summer over there? What do you, you go outdoors or hobbies? You're a swimmer? Um, I've, I try to, try to run to exercise. I've got a six-year-old and a two-year-old, so they are the hobbies right now. So whatever they do, my six-year-old likes fishing, which is not something that I did a lot of when I was a kid, but now I'm, I'm learning to do that. And oh, cool. so that's probably, yeah, it's, but it's a, it's an awesome thing to do with your, with your kids. Yeah. You got boys or boy and girl? Uh, six-year-old boy and then the uh, two-year-old girl. Oh, you work that well. Hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Well, you've got this new book out called Subtract, The Unstopped, Untapped Science of Less. The um, How's the book launch going? Uh, I, it's great. I mean, this is my first book with a popular press, um, and it's just been amazing to uh, – to think that people I don't know are reading something that I wrote. I mean, that's really fun. And to see, you know, to hear how it's, it's helping mm. people is really, really neat um, to, you know, to get an email from somebody who read it and says, Hey, this helped me. Um, <laughs> this helped me think about how to manage the relationship with my, my mother better. And, you know, and then also I'm getting wow. these e- cool. emails from some of my kind of intellectual heroes who, I haven't, I'd never met, but I'd learned a lot from their work. And, um, you know, so people like Bob Sutton, who wrote, wrote the no asshole rule and, um, and a bunch of other books, he's a Stanford professor. He emailed Adam Grant who wrote think again and blurbed yeah. my book. Uh, and he, so Bob emailed Adam to ask for an introduction to me. And I'm like, guys, I'm pretty sure if either one of you had emailed me, I would have, uh, I would have email responded, but it's just really cool to see Bob saying like, Hey, this is a really a neat idea. I learned a lot from your book. Could we talk about it? So, um, so those things have been, been That's really cool. fun. Yeah. And, and, you know, and these conversations, quite frankly, are one of my favorite things about it, because I think I get to like the conversations I'm having with you right now, I get to yeah. hear from smart people who are thinking about this from, from different angles than, than I am. Um, and I, it's just a incredible learning and, and growth opportunity 
for me that I'm trying to soak up as much as possible. So overall, it helps. It helps it, I guess, evolve your ideas, doesn't it? When you have a chat to other people about your work, um, but that's what you do. You're a professor and you write, you know, many articles, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but most of the time I'm writing articles for, a, a like a subset of people who already knows what I do. Right? right. And already knows, like already thinks the same things I think are important are important. And so this is like communicating to, a you know, just as smart an audience, but a, an audience that doesn't have as much experience with the things that I'm talking about. So that that's the part of it that is, um, that is different, but you're exactly right about the workshopping thing. I've got to think that out for my, for my next book, because I've gotten so many great examples or examples that I totally would have switched one of my examples that I wrote about in the book. Out yeah. for. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I think about like how comedians do it, where they go on tour and like workshop their best jokes and then, um, kind of fine tune it down to a, to a show. Um, I think, uh, this kind of happens in reverse especially when it's your first book, it kind of gets out there and then, and then you get even better ideas. I mean, the yeah. ideas in the book are good too, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I guess that's why they have uh, second and third editions of, of books maybe. Yeah. That's yeah, a, a possibility. So what's your profession then? You're a professor at the um, university of Virginia. Yep. And what do you do a, there? Uh, so I'm an engineer by an engineering professor by training. Oh, okay. Um, but I teach, I'm really interested in design. So like the thought process of design, how we, and design broadly construed. I mean, I, I started mm. out with, you know, what do you mean by design? Yeah. Like buildings. design of buildings and okay. yeah, I mean, that's, that's how we start as engineers, right? Buildings yeah. and things like that. But th then it's, it was more kind of like, okay, well the same basic thought process that goes into how we, you know, change a building or a highway from how it is to how we want it to be is, is mm. essentially what we're doing a lot of time in life. You know, even if we're, you know, changing our calendar from how it is to how we want it to be, or how we're, if we're changing a, uh, changing our ideas, <laughs> our, our routines. Um, so that, that broad definition of design is what I'm interested in. And I often study it in the context of, you know, buildings and stuff, but the, the book is about this idea of subtraction. And that's something that I've studied much in a, a much broader context and is, is relevant to, to everybody. And that's why it became a book. Is that why, um, is that why you write the book? Is it, is it to do with the design process and, and, how less is, is better when in that phase. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. As long as you define design as this thing that everybody's doing as change, basically, right. As, as, as trying to take things from how they are to how we want them to be. And, and what the, what the book builds on is this, you know, the most interesting scientific finding I've ever come up with. It was on the cover of nature, which is, you mm. know, like the pinnacle of an academic's career. And, <laughs> uh, and I'm, you know, I'll try, but I'm pretty, I would not be surprised if 30 years from now at the end of my career, I didn't, I didn't have another finding that was as interesting as this one to me. So we were, um, I, the story actually starts with my son. Um, when he was the six year old now, when he was three, we were playing with Legos and building a bridge. And, um, the hmm. problem we had was the bridge was not level. Uh, and so I tried to fix the problem. I started to get a block to add to the shorter column on the bridge. And uh, by the time I had done that, he had already subtracted a block from the larger column, um, and made the level bridge by taking away. Whereas I had kind of <laughs> only thought about adding and, you know, this is something that, like you said, interesting. This, this, yeah. 
part of design. I had always been interested in it, so this wasn't the first time I started thinking about it, but it gave me a really kind of tangible representation of, of what I was thinking about, and that's mm. what kind of kicked off the tens of thousands of hours of experiments I did with my colleagues to show that, in fact, what happens when people are trying to make change, whether it's a, whether it's a Lego bridge or whether it's um, a travel itinerary, whether it's a, a recipe, um, whether it's your calendar, whether it's random grids on a computer screen, are, are, we behave very similar to how I, or we think very similar to how I thought in that moment, which is we first think, hey, what can I add to this thing to make it better? Hmm. Um, and then we, you know, it's not impossible to think of subtraction. My son thought of it, but more often than not, we think of, we think of adding and oftentimes we move on without even considering subtraction as an option. So, you know, there's kind of two stages to, to subtract, to make something better. One is you have to think of it. And the second is then you have to follow through with it. And this was some, this is the first work that shows, Hey, we have a problem even thinking of it in the first place. And so that's, um, once I knew I had that finding with my colleagues, I mean, that was when I knew I had to write the book because I just think it's something that this is a, a fundamental option that should be at everybody's disposal. And I hope that the book kind of helps people see that. Yeah. So the goal of the book, if, if you were to pick up it and read it, would be what? I hope it rearranges people's mental furniture to, to help them see subtraction more often. You know, some people will be like, oh, Lighty, he's, he's pro subtraction. And I, I'm, I don't care. I, I, I like adding, I like subtracting, but I, uh, but I want people to have all their options. And so the goal of the book is to help people see more of, more of their options across all of these, um, across all of these different contexts. Cause I'm sure, you know, there's so many contexts that it can be applied to. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. It's, um, you know, and there's a lot of great gurus out there who are, you know, telling us how to subtract in specific contexts. Right. So like Greg McCown, um, you know, Cal Newport talking about digital minimalism, Marie Kondo tidying closets. And this book is um, kind of complements those in showing the science of, of why we why we need that advice. And then also kind of helps people broaden it to to contexts that um that nobody else to. knows about. Yeah. Yeah. So along the line, like I just had Greg McEwen on the show about essentialism. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the boys from minimalism, you know, they, they talk yep. about the, the topic. So along those sort of lines, but yours is a broad, more broad theoretical thing that can be applied to, I guess, in many contexts in life. Yeah. Whether it be work or relationship or routine. Yeah. Mm hmm. And also, I think the other thing mine does, for better and for worse, I mean, if you're somebody who's interested in understanding the science of why this is happening, and if you're somebody, you know, like like me, I, I learn better when I know, like, the why. Yeah. Um, and so my book has, a, a, you know, the first half of it is very focused on the why this is happening before it gets into how to make it better. Well, let's start there. What, what is the science behind doing less or having less <laughs> or being, I don't know? Is it doing having and being less? Yeah. It's, Can we be well, less? I mean, is that a thing that we aim for? We could, yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, if you think that's an improvement for, for what you're trying to, to be, then you could aim for less. Um, I think the, the, probably you know, the science hmm. goes, yeah, the science goes back to kind of thinking about it, right, and then choosing it. Uh, and following through with it. Right. And so yeah. the, the experiments I talked about, the Lego bridge with my son and all the subsequent stuff shows that we systematically are less likely to think of it. And, but then even when we do think of it, there's lots of re scientific 
reasons why we don't choose it. I mean, one is just this desire we have as humans to just as animals to display competence, right? To show that we can impact the world. Um, and this is something that from, you know, a famous example is bowerbirds building the, their ceremonial nests, right? They build the, the males build these nests. The females go around to look at the ceremonial nest, decide who to mate with based on those nests. And then the females go off and build their own nests to shelter the children. So the, the nests that the, the males build don't serve any kind of shelter purpose, but they show that the male who built the nest is effective at interacting with the world. They have competence and, and being able to effectively oh, interact. That's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, so we all share that desire, right? I mm -hmm. mean, and that's, you know, when I think about the ways that I add, like if I look in my file folder on my computer and I have 18 versions of a paper that I wrote that are never going to see the light of day, but I'm never, I'm not going to delete them. I, <laughs> so that to me is probably my desire to show competence. Like I did this thing and by golly, it's gonna, it's gonna stay there. It's gonna exist on the, the cloud or wherever, um, to show my competence. So, so, you know, even after we do kind of think of the option to take away. There are very good scientific reasons why we might not follow to. through with it. Yeah. Mm. And then of course we can get into all the, you know, cultural and, and economic factors that may make it harder to take away. Yeah. Well, instinctually, I suppose we, we probably hold on things and add more to our list or add more to our life, add more to our professional mm -hmm. career, you know, add more to our, our pockets, um, out of a need for survival. Yeah, out of a need to pass down our genes, right? And, you know, some of it's tied into our this desire we have to acquire food. Um, <laughs> researchers have showed that that kind of acquisitiveness is continuous with hoarding disorder, right? So, um, and then also, um, you mentioned some of the, the cultural things, right? It's like, for a long time, adding has been good. If you're roaming around on, you know, without a house and without a, a city and without a civilization, you know, kind of adding those things seems like a pretty good option. And now we're, but now we're at a point where we've added a lot of stuff and there's probably more chances to, to take things away to make life better too. Yeah. Do you think there's a cultural shift in this, this uh, need or is it, is it being sort of forced upon us because we've um, perhaps it become too bloated. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I hope so. Um, as a, yeah. you know, a person with a six year old and a two year old and somebody who, you know, just feels like there's a, just sees a lot of people around me who are not happy because they're kind of pursuing the wrong things. But yeah, I, I don't know if, you know, if now will be seen as this pivot point, but it does seem like the more, again, the more, we've added a lot. Right. And so these opportunities to take things away are more and more, and it seems like we can take more advantage of those. And also, I mean, the, the pandemic, you know, you wonder if that kind of stimulated it might stimulate it a, a little too, up. because, mm. you know, it's obviously this horrific cost. Um, but it has been a tremendous break from our normal routines. And if we can at least analyze, okay, you know, 80% of the stuff that happened during the pandemic, we absolutely hate and we want to bring back as soon as possible. But there's some things like for me, work travel, for example, I just, yeah. just so obvious to me now that 90% of the travel I was doing is, com was completely useless. And in fact, you know, detrimental to my 
work mm. goals. Um, and so I don't know what, you know, what those things are for everybody is different, but, um, I think the combination of having added for a long time and having all this kind of untapped potential for subtraction, plus people not using it, plus the pandemic, maybe maybe now will be a pivot point. Plus my book, right? That's gonna that's gonna <laughs> definitely pivot people. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the um, the awakeness of of society, you know, this this mindfulness movement and becoming more aware. Yeah. And I, I think maybe there's a push for a deep sense of purpose and happiness, um, which is, I guess, what I really always talk about, and that's perhaps because I'm trying to fill a void. I'm not sure. But this idea to subtract from from aspects of life um, certainly, I think, can add value to your life in, in very profound ways. And I always give the example. I went to Japan with my family. Uh-huh. I, um, I packed up the kids and the wife, and we uh, we went to Japan, lived there for two years. And we uh, basically went with a few suitcases and that was it. Uh-huh. And lived very basically, you know, we had a house and, you know, it wasn't anything too special, but it was lovely. Nonetheless, it was a house. Um, so we felt quite privileged with that sense. And I remember just, um, I think I was jogging or, or walking along this uh, street one day in a rural town through these rice paddies and, and I just had this clarity of, uh, of contentment. Um, and I, I really bring it back to just having and doing and being less. Mm-hmm. How old were your kids at the time? They were um, one and three or four. Okay, interesting. That's a, mm-hmm. wow, that's impressive that you achieved that feeling with a one and four-year-old <laughs> and around. So, so but yeah, I, I do think, you know, when you think about, I meditate now, I, I've started doing that, I guess, the last four years. Um, yeah, and what does that look like for you? Well, it's just the kind of Headspace app, um, and some. And sometimes I'll go on YouTube and see if there's anything that piques my interest. But uh, I think it, it's just this dedicated time, right, where I'm not inundating myself with, with adding information into my brain um, and giving myself time to either, you know, not think about anything or, mm. you know, I. No matter, I'm not good enough at it yet where I don't actually think about anything. There's definitely thoughts that come in, but they're different thoughts than I'd be having if I was, you know, still kind of listening to, you know, listening to a podcast and checking my email and, you know, seeing what people said about the book on Twitter and so on and so forth. So it's um, mm. I think that, you know, that's a very subtractive activity in the in the mental space. Um, and, and, you know, again, it seems like it has gained in, in popularity, um, recently, probably as a reaction to the, the abundance of adding opportunities we have when it comes to information. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, once you have that level of awareness through a practice, like the, the one you do, um, you can bring more awareness to the moments in, in life. Um, and so instead of being so overwhelmed and busy, which we all are, like we all just seem to, you know, put more in our plates all the time thinking it's somehow going to make uh, things better. Um, and it, it often doesn't. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's something that actually ties into the, to the, one of the scientific things we found in the research, it's this like reinforcing feedback loop that puts us in a trap. And, you know, one of the things we found in our research was that when people were cognitively overloaded, they were even more likely to kind of default to this adding mindset, which, which makes sense. You're just kind of going with, with the, with the default setting because you don't have time to think, but you know, so if the problem is that we're, we're adding more and more and more information and Mm. we 
it's hard to break out of that cycle because the more information we add, the more likely we are to add more because we have less bandwidth to think about what it is that we actually want that will make us make us happier. Um, and you know, your story of Japan is I'm just, it just sounds really nice now because, um, you know, my question to you as I'm reflecting on it was like, wow, how'd you do that with kids? And it's like, my question should have been, how do you not do that when you have kids? Cause those are the moments you never want to forget. Right. Um, mm. and if, if you, it's, it's an example of this is an incredibly busy time in your life in terms of tasks that you have to do and, you know, things to think about, um, and what, you know, you could, there could be a tendency to think during that time, Hey, I need to, you know, I'll just buckle down for these five years and then I'll start meditating after my kids get out of, you know, out of the house or whatever. But, um, it, yeah. it's actually the opposite. You, that's even more critical during those busy times. Well, culturally, that's the way we're, we're brought, brought up, isn't it? Like you, you go through your education and then you get a job and you work hard and then you're 16, you retire and, and spend your time doing things that you might enjoy. Um, but yeah. it's just, it's not the way it's done anymore. It's, it's, it's changed. And I think culturally that's changing maybe from the, the younger generations now, um, having a big influence on this too, mm-hmm. because people don't, people want to live and enjoy life. They realize it's an experience that only happens once potentially. And, um, you know, you've got to make the most of that. And if that means doing less to en- enjoy it, then great. I mean, that's a great hack. Yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, there's certainly more and more young people doing that. Although I don't know, I'm around a lot of high achieving youngsters, and um, you know, I think uh, there's there's more that that message can get out there. Um, yeah, less. Yeah. So, do you think high achieving? I mean, I, I, you know, I think if you've got joy for something or passionate about a particular, you know, thing that you do. Uh, and that means high achievement, then so be it. Great. You know, I work yeah, bloody yeah, hard in my no, industry I and I, I really love it, you know? Yeah, you're right. I, I think, uh, I don't, you know, I, I work basically all the time, but I absolutely love Not my job. I, I yeah. don't think. Yeah. So, so yeah, I don't mean to cast all high achievers as people who are not happy. Um, but I do think that there is still a fair amount, probably from parental pressure, um, more than anything of just like, Hey, these are the next things I need to check off these next ways that I need to, to show competence. So that some of the culture is still there, but I do think it's better than when I was 20 years ago when I was that age. Yeah. Yeah. True. And it's, it's probably, I mean, there's probably a lot of people out there, you know, maybe I am too. And it's something to, to reflect on perhaps, but doing too much even though you think you enjoy it um just doing too much anyway that it doesn't actually add to your to your life right even though you're trying yeah. to add more <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and it's hard to tease out the um do i enjoy this because it's kind of busy work and makes me feel good or do i enjoy it because it's like getting me to the impact that i want to have on the world for example um so yeah it's probably something we don't reflect on too often, I guess. <laughs> no, it's a hard thing to reflect Which on. Which is why your book's here, to help us yeah. try and reflect on that. So how do we uh, incorporate these ideas? Is it is it really just a, a mindset that it starts with, you know, thinking about um, the things that you do um, and then doing the opposite? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, certainly the mindset. And I mean, you know, I think people will immediately get improvement just from listening to this podcast. And I think they will get even more improvement from from reading the book. I think, yeah. you know, a, a really practical thing that you can do. I mean, it's 
it's hard to to have the mindset at all times. And, you know, this is something that we found in our experiments just because somebody was, we told somebody how to subtract in one context didn't necessarily carry over to subtracting in another context. And so, you know, maybe another thing you can do is when you're thinking about, Hey, I want to make more use of this option that I otherwise overlook. What, what cues can you put in place to kind of force yourself to take away? And, you know, so a, an obvious one, but it's a good illustration is when you, when you're making your to-do list for the week or the month or whenever you make it, you know, force yourself to also think of stop doings. And, um, <laughs> these, you know, the critical thing with a stop doing mm. is it can't just be like saying no to some new thing. It actually has to be stop doing something that, you know, you've been doing on your weekly list every week right. for the last, um, and, and that's the only way to actually, free up time because you have those to do's that you're, you're now proposing to add to it. And so, but what's useful there is the fact that it's a cue. There's no way then that you could go through this kind of schedule planning activity and not think about, um, not think about what you might take away. And you can imagine those cues, um, you know, uh, in, in, in physical objects, also in, uh, in your thoughts. Um, I think that the, the meditation is, is kind of, uh, it's, I don't know, telling yourself, reminding yourself to, to meditate, also kind of thinking about um, or maybe setting aside time in your schedule if that's how you allocate, you know, mm. how you spend your thinking is like, OK, here's the half hour where I'm going to rethink things or, or question what I already know, because one of the hardest ways, hardest places to take away is in our mental models. Yeah. We build these models of how the world works and um, it's just really hard to change them. I mean, education scholars have have given up even trying, they just say, okay, well, we can't change the mental models that people come to us with. We need to just kind of work, work with them and help people adapt them. And so it leads to things, you know, one of the examples I use in the book is, um, I mean, it's a funny example, but we all do the same thing. So my son, when he was about, uh, I don't know, he's probably five still believe, you know, he still believes in Santa Claus, but we were talking about, um, well, he got Legos for Christmas and he goes, well, what happened, dad? You know, I, I, how are these from Santa Claus? And I said, what do you mean? Um, Santa Claus knew you liked Legos. And he said, well, I, how does Santa Claus have the plastic? I just thought he had wood up at the, at the North <laughs> Pole. I said, oh, for things like Legos, Santa Claus like works directly with Amazon. And, you know, he was <laughs> per perfectly happy with that explanation. And we all do that to a certain <laughs> extent, right? It's like we, we come with this preconceived notion, right? He's, he believes in Santa Claus. And he, but he also believes that like, okay, he's just seen these movies of Santa Claus working with wood. So, but when, and then he knows about Amazon. And so if I can combine those two things, he's like, okay, that's cool. Uh, that's, that's easier. I will accommodate that belief that Santa Claus works with Amazon rather than question the notion that there's this guy up at the North pole is bringing, bringing him Legos. Um, and so, you know, we all, do a version of that. Um, and we'd be a lot better off if we could actually like sit down and say, okay, what are the things that, you know, I've, I'm kind of building my knowledge on that I've, I question or that I want to subtract from my mental models. And so again, like putting mm. cues in place to do that is a good way to make sure that you don't overlook it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Santa Claus and Amazon. That's so <laughs> it good. Worked. Yeah. The, um, I've lost my train of thought now. The <laughs> <laughs> We're still going. There's another awesome example of this. The classic, um, since you liked that one, the classic psychology experiment was just brilliant. This guy, mm. Leon 
Festinger, he, um, he, he wanted to see how people's beliefs changed when they were presented with evidence that contradicted their beliefs. So essentially the same thing that happened to Ezra. Um, and so he joined a cult, a doomsday cult, <laughs> and it was like a brilliant plan because if, you know, if the, the doomsday didn't come, he has this great experiment, but if the doomsday does come, he's, you know, he's covered cause he's in the cult, but he, what happened, he joins the cult. Um, and then midnight of the doomsday comes and the, the cult members are sitting around saying like, Oh, well, okay. Any moment now. And then it was like five minutes after midnight and they're debating what, what's the official clock of the apocalypse basically <laughs> so they're saying, okay, well, no, that, that one must be wrong or it's behind or something. We just hang on here. And, and then they sit there and it becomes, you know, like four or five in the morning and the the cult leader just said, you know, kind of makes this statement that it worked. You know, our, our belief was so strong that we headed off the, the doomsday. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, and to, again, we don't all do this at the same degree that cult members and Ezra do, but it's really hard to kind of subtract our, our existing beliefs, even when they're shown to be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> that's great, isn't it? The um, I guess the we we operate on this biological uh, default network, um, uh, you know, the neurological default network or whatever they call it, mm-hmm. um, and that's how we operate. So if you can bring awareness to to that, then you can switch to the I guess the task. What I just uh, interviewed this guy Fleet Mall, and he talked about the task positive uh, network. Okay, um, and that's by being bringing attention to to what you do and I think with the subtraction idea that's what we Mm. need to do we need to bring attention to it and uh, do you recommend a practice of like I I I feel that this could be something that you do every morning you look at you know what your day looks like and going okay well what can I subtract from this um you know you could you could bring attention to perhaps your typical workout routine and go what could I do differently here uh or subtract from this to to make it better or easier yeah, certainly. I mean, so, you know, those types of reminders. Um, also, the another thing that would work that would draw your attention to it is doing repetitions, right, of, okay, here's my first instinct of how to solve the Lego bridge, which for me was adding. But it's not impossible to think of subtracting. It's just that we add and move on without considering other options. So if you've mm-hmm. got the if you've got the time and cognitive capacity, then force yourself to think of you know, five different things you would do to make the situation better and then choose your favorite. Um, and then you're, you're more likely to surface some of the subtractive options at that point. And then if you, if you choose them or don't choose them, I don't care. At least you've, at least you've considered it. You haven't completely, um, overlooked this option. So, so yeah, I think the, um, those kind of, you know, forcing yourself to go through multiple iterations of the whatever it is you're trying to make better could could certainly reveal some of those subtractions because it's exactly as you said. You know, so it's not that this is impossible to do; it's just that it's not our default. Hmm. Just about thinking, you know, thinking more about things yeah, in general. Exactly. I don't. We don't give enough time, enough thought, and that's why the yeah, and that's why that you know, trap that we talked about earlier happens, right? Because we're, we're adding more and more information and that's taking away time for thinking, which is making us less likely to think of subtracting. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, you know, Adam Grant's book, Think Again. Um, yeah. That's a yeah. great, you know, great book. Tim Ferriss, I always listen to, and he has that, um, what does he say? When he thinks about things, he goes, you know, what if I did the opposite to what most people do? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, you know, they're just brilliant little thoughts that just remind me to say sometimes, you know, think about it again, uh, do things differently. Yeah. 
Yeah, those are perfect. I um, I remember a time in my life uh, I, I do real estate myself, and um, several years ago when I was quite new to the the industry, um, I was just so busy, so busy, and I had this moment like I went away for this uh, conference, and it took three days out of my already busy week of six days typically, and I got to the end of the week with still everything as as it was, um, still achieving basically what I would normally achieve in a normal week. And I've started to realize that, you know, if I could do it in three days, why am I actually using six days? Right. And, and this, is, this is where I think, you know, in modern society, um, I don't know how we're still here where we're working seemingly longer hours. Um, for what gain? You know, what, what has it, extra has it bought us? Um, if anything, we should be working less and enjoying more life with everything that we've um, progressed to be as, as yeah, a human population. And it's, it's interesting too, right? Because we're proud of it. Like we're proud of, <laughs> we brag about how busy we are. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, in doing research for the book, I, there were some cultures like, uh, in Italy, um, I don't know if it's still the case, but a while back people, you know, it was like, a pride or like wealth was displayed by leisure, um, by the fact, mm. Hey, look, that guy must be really rich. He never is doing anything. He just walks around and does whatever he wants all the time. And, um, but that's not the way it is now. It's like, we talk about, Oh, I'm, you know, working six days a week. Right. Or, I, and I've got all this, all this stuff that I'm doing. The, the other example there is, I mean, and it reminds me of your trip to Japan too. Um, in academia, we get, the, it's just, if it wasn't already a good enough job, uh, we get these sabbaticals where, you yeah. know, you basically break away for half a year and you, it, you still do all the, the important stuff like the, the, <laughs> the thinking and the research and the writing, and you even do some interacting with students, but you get rid of all the, the crap. And one of the most noticeable thing from my sabbatical was exactly what you said. It was like all this stuff that I was doing, I just didn't do it for six months and absolutely nothing bad happened. Right. Like my department didn't hmm. fall apart because I wasn't on the such and such committee or whatever. So I think at an individual level, but also at an organizational level, there's a lot of things that we just keep doing because we've always done them. Well, there's a level of guilt involved there, huh? Yeah, you're right. Um, and that's, uh, one of the things there's this great research by, um, Leslie Perlow. She's a, uh, at Harvard business school and she, um, but for her PhD research, she studied this, what she named time famine. And she studied these software engineers who, you know, like a lot of people who work just, they, they said they don't have enough time. And so she like went in and studied what they were, what they were doing. And she broke down their tasks into these categories. And I first get the specific names of the, the categories, but one was basically like the actual work that was contributing to the bottom line of the software company. And then there's this one category of tasks, which was basically like tasks that they were doing because of this feeling of guilt that you're talking about. They're like, you know, I, I know that I'm not going to contribute anything productive to this meeting, but if I don't go, I'm going to feel bad, you know, for my coworkers and, and everybody's doing that same thing. Right. So, you know, the feeling of guilt's really natural, but at the same time, somebody, you know, if, if everybody comes together and thinks about it, it's also really, um, really damaging to kind of keep following that behavior because everybody's mm. just doing it because they feel guilty instead of because it's, it's useful to, to what the, the organization or whatever the group is, is trying to achieve. It's interesting, isn't it? And we just yeah. follow, we just follow the, um, like having a sick day, you know? 
yeah. you um, in yeah. big companies that I used to work for, it was just like, yeah, have a sick day. You've got all this sick leave, but then you frown upon if you do it, and you're just like, oh, well, that just is really idiotic. Um, yeah. You know, the idea of it is so people can actually recover and be better and be better for our workplace as well and actually not yeah. infect other people at the same time, right. which would be ideal, right. but not the way we treat it. So, mate, um, what do you do? You have any routines or rituals that you believe contribute to your success and what you do? Uh, I mean, the biggest one is I chose good parents. That was the biggest, <laughs> biggest. Yeah, one. nice uh, work. How did you do that? <laughs> um, I, I think I'm very uh, regimented, as my wife tells me, and I think, mm. but I do think that that's contributed to my success. And I mean, that's been hard with the kids uh, because they break you out of that in 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 mostly useful ways. But um, I I'm a big like, hey, this is go work out first thing in the morning. And then, you know, I'm on my computer doing my, uh, kind of deep thinking work. And then it's, you know, trying to only check emails once a day. So, so very, being very regimented is uh, something that helps me a lot. Um, and I think, you know, the other people that I'm around in this profession that are, uh, successful and happy, I think are kind of share those traits oftentimes. Yeah. I like that. The, um, what do you, what's your definition of success? I think, I, I guess it's this, um, you know, the most good for the most people over the most time. So trying to have a positive impact on the world and, um, you know, and that, that happens in different ways, right? I mean, the book is like, okay, this hopefully makes a small difference in a lot of people's lives. And when I'm a parent, I'm trying to make a big difference in a, in a couple people's lives. Um, and so that's how I kind of, filter all the stuff that I'm doing when I'm, you know, sitting down and thinking about how I'm going to prioritize using my time is how do mm. I do that for the most, for, for the most people. Cause again, I feel, you know, I, I was blessed with good parents and I've been put in a position where I can, can think about things like that. There's a lot of people in the world who can't. And so I feel that that's kind of my societal obligation and also just is, is what ultimately at the end of the day makes me happy. If I, if I look back and think, okay, this is amazing. I got to share with Lee and his audience. And I bet there's somebody, you know, somewhere who, who used some of these ideas to, to make their life a little bit better. And it's like, okay, good job, Lighty. You, you, uh, you accomplished something today. That's good. Yeah. No, I like that. What, um, what, what advice would you give your 20 year old self? Ah, I was, um, I think to not think that anybody cares, basically. I think there's this tendency Hmm. when I was 20 and still now to think that, you know, people are (laughs) the spotlight effect where people like are paying attention to me and understand exactly what I'm doing and know what I'm thinking and feeling and are like either conspiring to help me or conspiring (laughs) against me. It's like, okay, some of that might be going on, but I would don't, don't sit there and, and wait for it. Um, and I think that's a, hmm. was especially prevalent as a 20 year old because you're brought up in that, you know, in a very caring environment where there are two people who are looking out to make sure that things are going right for you. And, um, but in the transition to, to the real world, that, that kind of goes away. So that's, that's yeah. the advice I think would have really helped me then. And, and, you know, is a good reminder for myself now, cause I still do it. Yeah, I think it's um, one of those things that comes with age too, and 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 actually, your your the whole topic of less is is probably something that comes with age. I think a lot of people get to their fifties, sixties, mm. and and start really appreciating what is important about life, and 
and that usually means they actually do do less. I don't know. That's, no, you're right. That's that's an, we talked in the beginning about these things that come up, you know, as I go around talking about the book. And there, I guess I, I've learned that there's actually like a line of research about people in that age group and, you know, wanting to give physical things away. Um, and I think that's part of what you're talking about is, you know, them realizing, hey, this is it actually hasn't done what they yeah, thought this, might be able to this done. Isn't, yeah, this isn't the thing that I care about. It's interesting. Isn't it? Hey, um, if you were to be served your last meal, what would you request? Uh, I don't care if, I'm, if I know I'm going to die. I, like, I, I can't imagine. Uh, That's a good feeling, answer. Never had that one yeah, before. <laughs> like <weird>. Yeah. <laughs> so I really, um, I really feel that way about the last meal question. Okay. What, what activity gives you the greatest sense of joy? Fishing. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, if there's a six year old there, that's pretty fun. Um, and seeing, yeah. So seeing the, seeing a kid, achieve something gives me a great sense of joy so when when my son sits out there for two hours and is persistent and then at the end he finally catches a fish and to see that joy i mean there's nothing that beats that um Mm. and then you know on a personal level i i get the the same joy um task accomplishment um but also you know things that that have been really hard to do um so so yeah, but True. nothing, nothing, you're right. Nothing beats the, the kid catching the bass after two hours of, <laughs> of trying. <laughs> what, um, what book would you hand down to future generations? Uh, I love, um, there's this great Uruguayan author named Eduardo Galeano. Uh, and he's, he wrote open veins of Latin America. He also wrote the best book about soccer ever, but he's got some great kind of, mystical advice, uh, books. And I think the one that I would recommend is probably, uh, I think it's called upside down world. Um, so that would be, that would upside be the book. down world. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I'll put that on the list. Yeah. The, um, may have been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, I'll stick a link of the book in the show notes for everyone listening out there. Um, so pick up a copy, have a read. Is there, um, any way people can reach out to you or connect with you and learn more about what you do? Sure. Yeah. I'm on, I'm on Twitter at Lighty Klotz. I'm on LinkedIn, I think at Lighty Klotz as well. And then, I mean, you can find my email on the, on the internet. And if I like talking to people who have, who have read the book. Um, so, and my parents also, in addition to being good parents, gave me a good Google name. So that's always a good way to find out the latest stuff that's going on in my life. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure. I absolutely love it. Um, all the best with the, the book and the continuation of its launch. And, um, Mate, let us know if we're going to have help with anything. Sure. Yeah, same here, Lee. Uh, I really enjoyed it too. Uh, guys out there listening, check it out at thehiddenwire.com, episode 993 with Lighty Clots, Subtract, and um, all the show notes and links will be within. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. 
You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon